Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When Jacob arrived at the ford of the river Jabbok, his future appeared to be most uncertain. He had managed to leave behind his sleazy uncle Laban, who tricked him into marrying Leah when he wanted to marry Rachel. And then when Jacob snuck away in the middle of the night, his uncle pursued him, trying to regain his family. But God protected him. God protected Jacob and his household. But now there is another obstacle before him. The last time Jacob had seen Esau, Esau was muttering murderous threats against him, just waiting for his father Isaac to die so that he could murder him like Cain murdered his brother Abel. Jacob had it coming. He had extorted Esau, trading a bowl of stew for his birthright, and then he tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing of the firstborn. That was 20 years ago, and ahead of Jacob right now lies a reunion with Esau. What are the odds that it would be joyful? Messengers came to Jacob and told him that Esau was approaching with 400 men. That sounds like an army. And so Jacob was terrified. He divided his family in two, and he thought to himself that if they were in two camps and Esau attacked, at least half of his household could survive. And then he prayed this prayer. O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good. And make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. That is a remarkable prayer. Jacob does two really important things in that prayer. First, he remembers what God has done for him. And then he asks God to keep his promises. He remembers all of the deeds of steadfast love, all of God's faithfulness, protecting him, guiding him, giving him his family and his household, delivering him from the hand of his uncle Laban. He remembers all those deeds of steadfast love and says, I am not worthy of the least of these deeds. And then he goes on, and most importantly, he asks God to keep his promises. You told me, to return to my country and my kindred. You told me to go see my brother Esau. You promised me that you would do me good and make my family prosper. You promised, not just to me, but to my father Isaac and my grandfather Abraham. Now, keep your promise. After praying that prayer, Jacob sent his family across the river while he remained alone on the other side, which is where our Old Testament lesson picks up this morning. He remained alone until a mysterious man, none other than God himself, attacked him in the night. As if the coming confrontation with Esau were not enough, here is yet another obstacle. This obstacle built up by God himself, the very God to whom Jacob had prayed, the very God who had promised to help him and not to hinder him 
If ever there was a time for despair, this was it. If ever there was a time to give up hope, to give up confidence, to give up trust in God's faithfulness, to think like the people of Israel that God had brought him out in the wilderness just to kill him, if ever there was such a time, this was it for Jacob. And the man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. I imagine that the widow in our gospel lesson may have felt a lot like Jacob. She also had an adversary, someone who was against her. It wasn't a wrestling match, and it wasn't God himself. But there was someone opposing her, someone who was depriving of her, her of her due, of her rights. For her, of all people, as a widow, there should have been no question in the mind of the judge. He should have sprung to action and protected her and given her justice and thrown her adversary in jail. But he didn't. He was her only recourse, and he was not helping her. If ever there was a time to give up hope, if ever there was a time for despair, this was it for that poor widow. I imagine she felt a lot like Jacob while he wrestled in the night beside the river. And in that way, these two stories are very similar. They're also similar in that both Jacob and the widow receive blessings. They're delivered. But how they come by their blessings, that is a key point where these two stories differ. That difference is everything. The widow had no hope. No reason to expect anything from the judge. He didn't fear God. He didn't respect man. He didn't care what God thought about him, and he didn't even care what other people thought about him. That is a unique level of intractability. There are lots of people who don't care what God thinks about them. But at least most people care what other people think about them. This judge, he was only concerned about himself, his own comfort. And so the only hope that the widow had was in somehow making him uncomfortable, in harassing and badgering and annoying him enough so that he'd lose his patience and help her just to keep her quiet. He was not moved by anything except his own comfort and peace. And for the widow, that was a very small hope indeed. Not so for Jacob. When Jacob prayed... And when he wrestled in the night, he was not appealing to an unjust judge who didn't fear God or respect man. He wasn't praying to someone who is motivated only by his own comfort or peace. He was praying to the God of his fathers, who was motivated by love, by his love for Jacob and his desire to give Jacob peace. And so when Jacob prayed, he didn't pray with threats. If you don't give me what I ask, I'm going to keep asking until you can't take it anymore. Instead, he prayed by recalling God's promises. You promised this to me. Now deliver it. When Jacob wrestled with the man in the middle of the night, he didn't rely on his own strength or persistence or his skills in extortion and trickery. Instead, he relied on one thing. God's promise. Let me go, the mysterious man said. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. He had heard and believed the promises of God, and so he could insist on those promises by faith, fully confident that God would deliver, fully confident even when it seemed like God himself was against him. 
Jacob had heard and believed the promises of God, and so when he prayed, when he called out to God for blessing, he did not lose heart. That is the point of the parable in our gospel lesson. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and never lose heart. If even an unjust judge, a scoundrel and a terrible man, if even he will grant justice simply because of the widow's persistence, how much more will God, who has promised to hear your prayers, who has promised to answer them in mercy, how much more will he give you exactly what he has promised when you ask for it? We ought always to pray and not lose heart because of God's promises. But this is not just a lesson about prayer. It's actually more basically a lesson about faith. You might have noticed how strange it was that after this whole story about prayer, Jesus ends the parable by saying, or rather by asking the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He asks that question because prayer and faith go hand in hand. Faith hears and believes the promises of God, and then faith prays, asking God to deliver. Prayer is the voice of faith. In prayer, faith keeps the second commandment, hallowing God's name by calling upon him in every trouble, by using God's name to hold him to his promises, glorifying God's name by trusting that he will do what he has sworn to do. Prayer and faith are inseparable because they both cling to the promises of God. They both look ahead to a future in Christ. And that's so important for us to hear, so important for us to keep in view, because it's easy to neglect God's promises. It's easy to focus only on whatever's happening in the present. If things are going well, if life is going well, we are drawn by our flesh to be complacent and self-satisfied. To be like the rich fool who said to himself, Soul, you have ample laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. Or when life goes poorly, we are drawn by our flesh to despair, to give up hope, to suppose that God cannot or will not help us, or to suppose that if he does not help us out of this present trouble, his love for us must have grown cold. It is easy when you are wrestling like Jacob or pleading for justice like the widow It is easy then to lose sight of the promises you have in Christ Jesus. That is why Jesus teaches us to pray and not to lose heart in good times and in bad, in famine and in plenty. We pray because we have a God who has proven himself faithful and a God who has sworn by his own eternal name to be merciful to you, to bless you and to keep you. And he wants you to think of him According to his promises, what has God promised you? That is a question you should ask and ponder day in and day out. When you sit and when you rise and when you are walking by the way, you know the advice to count your blessings, to be grateful for what you've received, and that is good. It's an important thing to do. But even more important, count your promises. Pray and never lose heart, because God is rich in promises. That is what led Jacob to struggle so mightily, insisting on a blessing. He was sure of God's promises. He had heard and believed that God was with him as his shield, 
and that he would fulfill through him the promise given to Abraham and Isaac. He came away with a limp. It's true. But even better, he came away with a blessing. And that is what God meant for him all along. And that is also what God means for you. The proof of God's faithfulness and his desire to bless you is bound up in the cross of Jesus. There, in the crucified flesh and shed blood of Jesus, God swears by himself at the cost of his own life, with the guarantee of his own son, that he loves you and forgives your sins and promises you salvation and eternal life, comfort and peace, the wiping away of every tear from your eyes and a joyful reunion with those you love who have departed in the faith. He promises to be with you, never to leave you or forsake you. This place, this church, this sanctuary exists to ensure that you always have access to those promises so that you may hear them often and believe. That is why I am here. That is why God has called me to be your pastor, to hold these promises always before your eyes to feed you with the flesh and blood of Jesus, the pledge and token of his undying love for you, so that trusting in the goodness and mercy of God, you may pray and never lose heart and joyfully receive all of God's blessings. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.